helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. This is your host, Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services. We are delighted to have you with us today. If you are not yet a regular listener, we trust that you will become one and join us every Monday at 9.30 a.m. You can also listen to past shows on our YouTube channel. Just type in Elam Counseling Services in your YouTube search and you will have access to over 250 shows. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Today's show is titled, Five Types of Conflict Avoiders. Contrary to what many people believe, conflict can be good for your relationship. John Gottman's research has shown that the significant predictor of divorce is not the magnitude of the conflict faced by couples, but how issues are addressed. Conflicts indicate that something is wrong in the relationship and needs to be addressed. Conflicts help us get our needs met. Conflict can result in relationship improvement and a greater sense of intimacy. Conversely, avoiding conflicts lead to a deterioration of unaddressed issues and often to divorce and separation. Many couples find themselves stuck in one or more of the following five patterns of conflict avoidance. And because of this, the relationship is in jeopardy. For all but one of the five examples that I will be speaking of today, I will be using biblical couples to illustrate the type of conflict avoidance and the dangers that they each pose to couples' relationships. So here we go. The first kind of conflict avoider is what I call the minimizer. Samson is a good example of that. If we read the story of Samson in the book of Judges, we find that he was betrayed by his first wife. In Judges chapter 15, we see that he was betrayed by his first wife. She told the secret of his riddle to her people. She was from another nationality, and he ended up uh, losing this bet and had to pay uh, a large sum of money to the, the, the people who guessed his riddle. In chapter 16, uh, his second wife, we see that she made a deal with her people to find the secret of Samson's strength. And what ended up happening is that we see that on the first two occasions when Samson did not tell her the true secret of his strength, that each time there were men waiting in the room to overpower him. But on those first two occasions, because he did not tell his wife Delilah the truth of what 
was the source of his strength. He was able to overpower these men. And on the third time, he gave in to her tears and her crying and her complaining that she that he didn't love her, and so he was lying to her. And so he ended up telling her the true secret of his strength. And what ended up happening is that he was overpowered by men who were, yes, again waiting in, hiding in a room in his house, and they ended up capturing Samson, uh, plucking out his two eyes, and it eventually led to his death. So we may ask the question, what is happening in that relationship? Why is Samson not cluing into the fact that he is being set up by his wife, that she was planning his demise. So he was emotionally blind. There was something in that dynamic between Samson and Delilah where he was not seeing that she was plotting against him. And what ended up happening, as I said before, is that it led to him becoming physically blind. So the emotional blindness led to the physical blindness and the eventual death of the relationship and the death of Samson. Now, that is a a, a very... A graphic example, if I may use that word. And I trust that in most relationships, the situations are not as severe. But I think that there is a kind of blindness that some people exhibit in their relationship where they tend to minimize the seriousness of what's happening with their partner. So people will say things like, it's not that bad. He hits. He doesn't hit me every day. It is only once or twice a year that he loses his temper and he hits me. Or he doesn't cheat all the time. It only, it's only once a month. I know that's a bit extreme, but it's only once a year. He doesn't cheat all the time. And so these big issues are being minimized. But there are other dysfunctional issues that happen. Maybe the person uh, is very demeaning in his words or her words and they're they're very very abrasive and these issues are not being addressed and they're being minimized and as issues are being minimized and not discussed and not being talked about the relationship is in danger just as in the case of Samson where you would think that after the first attempt on his life, he would say, Delilah, you and I have to have a talk here. Let's let's sit. And why was these men waiting in my room? And why did they attack me as soon as I told you the secret of my strength? But Samson avoided the issues and it got the situation got worse, and it eventually led to his demise. So are you avoiding things in your relationship? Are you minimizing the seriousness of what's happening? Now, there are different reasons why people may be minimizing situation. They might be in some kind of a denial because this person is supposed to be their knight in shining armor. 
Or maybe they have built up so much hope in this relationship that they just cannot admit to themselves that it is falling apart. And so they go into denial and they minimize the seriousness of what is happening instead of dealing with it. Minimizing your issues will only lead to the death of your relationship. And so do not minimize. Address the issues. Speak about the issues as painful as they may be because minimizing them will only lead to bigger problems. The second type of avoider is what I call the schemer. And we see this in in the story of Isaac and Rebecca. And in this case, Rebecca is the schemer. And so we know the story very well in Genesis 27, where Rebecca sided with her son Jacob and plotted to deceive her husband to get the blessing that was due to Esau, to get that those blessing for Jacob. Now, why did Rebecca do this? We get a clue in Genesis 25. You see, in Genesis 25, God had revealed to Rebekah that Jacob would be the son who would be blessed, and that the older son, Esau, would serve the younger son, Jacob. And so, with this promise in mind, Rebecca felt that she had to help God. She felt that she had to do something to prevent her husband from blessing the older son. Now, my question is, why couldn't they have had a discussion about this? Why couldn't Rebecca, Rebecca uh, sit with Isaac and say, Isaac, I, I know the custom in in, in our time is that the older son should get, should get the blessing. But God has spoken to me and given me this, this, this revelation that Jacob is going to be the one who is going to rule over the older son. He's the one that's going to get the blessing. You see, that might have created a conflict because that is counterculture. The younger son being blessed is counterculture. And maybe Rebecca said to herself, I won't say anything, but I will do my best to make sure that this promise is fulfilled. And so we see the scheming in the story where she's feeling that she has to do something to, to avoid the blessing falling on Esau. And we see the, the result, the damaging result of that. It led to the splitting of the family. It led to Esau threatening to kill Jacob when he realized that he had been deceived. And we, it led to Esau fleeing the country to live with his uncle Laban. So he was the first refugee, right? He had to flee to live with his uncle Laban because his brother Esau was about to kill him. But we also see the tragedy in that story that uh, Jacob never saw his mother again because by the time he returned to his homeland, it would be 20 years later and by then she would be dead. 
But when she did this, the idea was, go and stay with your uncle Laban for a little while, and when the temper of your brother goes down, then you can come back to see me. But she never saw him again. Scheming breaks families apart. So when you're passive-aggressive, and you're not saying, I don't agree with what you're doing, when you're not having those kinds of conversation where you sit with your spouse and you said, I don't agree with that plan. You might be very enthusiastic about it, but I don't think it's the way that we should go. And when you don't get third parties to be involved and maybe get counseling to talk about the issues that you disagree on, but you, you become passive, aggressive, and you try to sabotage the plan of the other person by pretending to be going along with it, but behind the scene, you are recruiting the children and you're recruiting friends and you're recruiting even the dog to side with you to, 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 to sabotage the plan of what your partner is trying to do, you're breaking your family apart. And just as in the case of of Isaac and Rebecca, there is very severe consequences with scheming. So do not scheme. Do not become passive-aggressive. Do not, do not go behind and try to sabotage what's, what you don't agree with. Voice your disagreement. Come up with ideas and have have discussion about it. But you may be saying to me, Michael, you don't know my partner. He would never listen or, or she would never listen. Or if I tried to talk about it, it would result in a big argument. Let me say that it is better to have those arguments than to become passive-aggressive and to, to, to scheme against what is happening or to pretend that you're in agreement and and b- pretend to be going along with it, but not really fully in agreement. Because this will build resentment, this will build bitterness, and when that other partner that you're scheming against realize that you're not fully with the plan, they're going to feel deceived, and there will be bigger arguments, and they may even be the eventual breakup of your relationship if your strategy is to avoid conflict, but pretending that you're with the the, the, the the plans and the goals of the other person, but secretly working against it. And working against it doesn't have to be an overt kind of scheming as in the case of Rebecca. It can sometimes just be inaction. You're not really enthusiastic about it. You don't really believe in what the person is doing. But instead of saying, I do not agree, you become passive. And, you know, you promise to write that report to help with the plan, but you never really get around to it. Or, you know, you promise to do that renovation that you're not really in agreement with doing. But it's been two years, three years, and it is not done. But in, but it, it's the same as saying no, but you're just not voicing that you're not in agreement. These kinds of passive-aggressive strategy only lead to the deterioration of the relationship. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on the topic, The Five Types of Conflict Avoiders. 
You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Your donations help us to stay on the air and to provide subsidized counseling to those who can't afford it. Back to Michael. And so let's get to the third kind of the third kind of conflict avoider. So, so the first was the minimizer. The second is the schemer, and the third is the rescuer. And we find that in First Samuel twenty-five, the story of Abigail and Nabal. We see that in that story. Nabal, the name which actually means a fool, he's a foolish type of a husband who speaks out of turn, who has this bad temper that gets him into trouble with others. And so on one occasion, he picks a fight with David and David and his army. And Nabal had no army. He had no protection. And he picks this fight with David that put his family in danger. And if we read First Samuel 25, we will see that David became so angry that he said, not one male servant of Nabal will be left alive. But we see that Abigail, his wife, decided that I have to save my husband. And she came up with a plan and she rode off with supplies to David and his men. So you can just see this drama unfolding where this this wife, Abigail, is, is making a plan to save her husband who has gotten himself in trouble. And she 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 was successful. She ended up managing to to speak with David and to tell him, do not listen to my husband. And she actually said, don't listen to my husband. He's a fool. He doesn't really know what he's saying. His name means he's a fool. And so David listened to her and uh, didn't end up carrying out his plot to attack Nabal. And so in some relationship today, Rescuing happened, but in different forms. I, I trust that there is nobody out there that having to be saving their husband from literally getting killed. But there are different types of rescuing that people involve themselves with. Rescuing from a person from debt. This person who spends, spends, spends all the family resources. And you have this rich uncle that or this rich parent that every time you get close to bankruptcy, you borrow money from your family to bail out this spouse of yours who is always getting the family in debt. That's a type of rescuing. Or maybe it's rescuing from saving the person from losing losing their job. Maybe this person has a, an addiction problem, and so they they have hangovers and they can't go to work, and you're the one who call in to say, my husband is sick, he cannot come in, or, you know, he met in an accident, he almost got killed, and he's recovering in the hospital, and you come up with these stories to, 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 to bail them out of trouble. 
because you're covering up for the, for the addiction or the drinking problem. And rescuing can be also in the form of making excuses for poor behaviors or by downplaying the dysfunction in the relationship. And so these kinds of rescuing doesn't deal with the problem at hand. If you are bailing a person out, rescuing them in these modern ways that I talk about, what you're actually doing is enabling the person, and the situation will only get worse. So do not enable. Speak about the problem. Demand that your partner get help. Address the issues at hand. Do not become a rescuer. And the fourth type of conflict avoiders that we see is what I call the martyr. The martyr is always putting themselves at risk or at danger for the sake of the relationship. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, is an example of that. In Genesis chapter 12, we see Sarah agreeing with her husband to lie that she was his sister in order to protect Abraham. Abraham had some kind of a fear that he was going to be killed and they were going to take his wife away from him because she's so beautiful. And so he came up with this scheme to lie, putting Sarah at risk. Because here we have in the first incident in chapter 12, Sarah is taken by Pharaoh and she's in the palace with Pharaoh who thinks she's single. And when Pharaoh found out that she was actually a married woman, he was upset. And he said to Abraham, why would you do this? He didn't kill Abraham as Abraham feared and and took Sarah as his wife. He said, why would you do this? And basically uh, sent Abraham and Sarah away. So maybe Abraham had some kind of a paranoia about his safety. And in Genesis 20, again, we see Abraham doing the same thing, lying again to King Abimelech that Sarah was his sister because he think again she's so beautiful and Abimelech is going to kill me to have her. And again, when God revealed to Abimelech that she was indeed his wife, Abimelech not only sent her away but gave protection orders that Abraham and Sarah should be protected. But in each of these two situations, Abraham placed Sarah at risk. And Sarah was the martyr because she agreed to the situation where she could have said, that's a bad plan. Let us trust God to protect us. God has given us this great promise of having many children born to us. And that promise cannot be fulfilled if I, if you are dead, Abraham. So God is going to protect you. But Sarah became this martyr where she lied, where, where she agreed with the lie, putting herself at risk. She could have been been raped, she could have been 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 you know in 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 improper sexual relationships with these king because she put herself in this situation to please Abraham. Now uh, this kind of martyrdom take place in different ways in relationship today where people put themselves at great risk for the sake of their partner. So it might be, for example, a financial risk. You are not, you, you are not uh, in agreement with this financial investment. You think that this might lead to, to 
the destruction of your family financially. But instead of having a conversation about it, instead of of having conflict over it, the conflict avoider who is the martyr will go along with it, putting the family finances at risk. And maybe it's even physical safety where you might not be in agreement with a certain vacation or certain types of things on a vacation that you might think it's a little bit risky, but this person wants to, and there is no discussion about it because you're afraid of having disagreement. And so when people find themselves in this situation where they become martyr, then their resentment is building and the relationship is in a state where it will eventually fall apart. And so the fifth kind of conflict avoid is what I call the apologizer. And so the apologizer is this person who is always apologizing. So but while apologizing is good, if you are apologizing, even though you know that you are right in a situation and you're always the one to be saying you are sorry and you're saying sorry for things that you didn't do, that's not a good situation to find yourself in. Apologizing uh, to, to pacify someone because you're afraid of their wrath leads to a very toxic situation. Apologizing because you can't bear being stonewalled by your partner. If I don't apologize, even though I know that I am right in, in what has happened, if I don't apologize, he's not going to talk to me for a year, so I I can't stand being being stonewalled. And so you are the one saying, I'm sorry, I am sorry, I am sorry. That is not a good form of apologizing. And so the apologizer might also be apologizing because they fear abandonment. They have been abandoned as a child and that stonewalling, even if it is for a day or a week, is just too much for them to bear. And so the anxiety that they feel when they are not being talked to is a kind of punishment that pulls them uh, to say that they're sorry for things that they didn't do. And so this kind of this kind of situation is a rut that your relationship with your relationship is in. Because if you're always apologizing for things that you know that you you're you're not guilty of or you're apologizing just to, to make peace in the relationship and the other person never apologizes, never say that they're sorry, never be the one to seek you out after a fight, then this will lead to that person becoming self righteous. That person now becomes dependent on you coming back to them. You being the pacifier all the time, and it leads to a toxic situation. And this will build frustration and resentment in you. And the relationship is at risk of suffering from what I call a relationship trauma. So if you have missed our show on the four types of relationship trauma, you can listen to it on our website. I don't have time to go into that today because I see that we have quickly come to the end of today's show. So there you have it, the five type of conflict avoiders. If you have missed the first part of this show, you can find it on our website, on our YouTube channel by doing a search for Elim Counseling Services in YouTube. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. 
We want to remind you that we are a not-for-profit organization that counts on your support to stay on the air. So if you have not yet contributed to this ministry, we pray that we, we ask that you would prayerfully consider making a donation to us. Donation helps us to stay on the air and to provide podcasts like these, and it also helps us to provide counseling to those who are in need but cannot afford it. So you can donate by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Elam Counseling Services and you can donate for as little as $5 monthly by becoming a monthly sponsor of our podcast. Uh, So Patreon is a crowdfunding platform and every little adds up to a lot. So please consider making that donation or you can donate by going through our website and and, uh, donate by any of the means on our website. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services, thanking you for being with us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. And I pray that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.